And that's the greatest thing ever written. Are you crazy? I can't believe a play where every character was murdered could be so boring. Son, it's not only a great play, but also became a great movie called Ghostbusters. Four finger discount, dude. Welcome to Four Figure Discount. This week we're here to review episode DABF08. It is called Tales from the Public Domain. I am Dando. I am Guy. Dando, what are we going to say about this episode, my man? Let's start this episode off by talking about our week and something positive. So, uh, <laughs> what, what did you do on the weekend, mate? I had a great weekend. Can you believe that Brendan Dando, the Brendan Dando, the man you are speaking to right now, had two, count them, one, two consecutive nights of eight-hour sleep? Oh, my God. No wonder it looks like you're on cocaine. <laughs> you know, you're clearly a new man at this stage of the proceedings. Good for you for yeah. getting two nights. How did that happen? Did you... Uh, did, what, did you did you rub a little whiskey on the on the kids' gums? Well, obviously, Elliot's just a uh, touch wood quickly, and Angel, when it comes to nighttime, he's pretty good now. He sleeps all the way through. Slept from seven o'clock to seven thirty last night. Twelve hours sleep. So, whoa, great work, great work, little dude. But Holly's also on. She, they've doubled the dosage of her medication for a silent <laughs> reflux, and she is waking up, still waking up quite a bit, but she's going to sleep. Again, so she's waking up yeah. because it's uncomfortable, but she's able to go back to sleep. So, nice. whew, praise the Lord! <laughs> so it's it's a snooze time at at, at Shea Dando. That's that's great. Yes. I mean, I'm hoping Nicola got a bit of sleep as well. So much undressed. She, yeah, she's getting well. She got nearly eight hours sleep herself last night. Not all in a, in a row like my, like I did because she went a bit a bit earlier. But basically, all I'm doing is I'm just getting to like nine thirty at night and going. I could stay up and you know, research or edit or whatever. Or I could just go to sleep. <laughs> I'm not going to sleep. In cases like that, always go to sleep. <laughs> yep. I actually read a... I didn't read. I actually heard on the radio. They've done a study this week that they say that if you have less than six hours sleep quite often, it, you have more chance, a 30% more chance of having dementia when you're older. So I heard that and went, mm, maybe I should... Uh, just start getting some more sleep because three hours of sleep each night is not enough. <laughs> not cutting it. Not cutting it. Well, that sounds like a, a very nice weekend. There's nothing like catching up on a few lost Zs or Zs. Uh, that has too been a topic of discussion among the patrons recently. Z or yeah. Z. Uh, let's say Zs. I say I say Z. I tend to you? say Z, but when it comes to Generation Z, it seems to be more an American kind of description than anything else. I mean, I know it's worldwide, but I think it was coined by the States. So it sort of feels natural to say yeah. Generation Z. I think it's one of those, we've done this before on the show when, you know, we'll say like Castle or France or France and I'll just skip between different pronunciations like an idiot. I mean, in this episode, we have vase or vase. We do indeed, yeah. So, um, uh, we're going to have to talk about this episode eventually, aren't we? But uh, before <laughs> that, I'll tell you about my weekend, which was very nice. The lovely Louise and I yeah. went up to the... Rural township, you might call it, of Emerald, about um, Ooh, okay. 40, 50 minutes out of Melbourne, up around the Dandenongs. Holly and Mark had bought a very nice place up there. We'd, we'd seen a few pictures beforehand, but... Uh, Holly and Mark, friends, friends of the show? We talked a bit about this podcast over the weekend, so um, they may well be. Okay, cool. But um, unprepared for how like a sort of Swiss ski chalet it was. It was very wooden. A lot of exposed sort of pine, and it had a hot tub, a dirty, great hot tub with fantastic Ooh. jets. A good time was had by by many people that weekend, including me, who took a little persuading to get into the hot tub, but once I was there, you had to pry me out with a crowbar. How long did it take you before you made a, a time machine reference? I, I bit my tongue, actually. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe not the right crowd? Probably won't get the reference? or. Mm, I, I like hot tub time machine very much. Um, and under different circumstances or a different crowd, wouldn't be afraid to say, hey, it's a hot tub time machine. But um, <laughs> the ratio of ladies to dudes this time around, these will mostly lose friends. Act your age, guy. Act your age. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. <laughs> just say, this is a really nice and civilized hot tub and I'm having a wonderful time, which I was. 
Well, here you can let your inner geek fly. So we need to discuss Tales in the Public Domain. I'm going to say, going into this one, I didn't have high hopes because I've made it no secret that I'm not a big fan of these modern or later season trilogy episodes. What I didn't like mostly about the last one was that I wasn't really big on the American folk tales. I didn't really understand them. I understood the stories a lot more in this one. So I was able to appreciate this one a lot more. But I just got to the end and went, I just didn't laugh. I, it was they, they did a fine job of doing a Simpsons-based parody. Mm. But if you're going for laughs, I'm like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I've actually read a couple of reviews. And I, I read this review uh, website. It's called Me Blog Right Good. And he goes through every single episode of The Simpsons, right? What, what a concept. Yeah, he usually shits all over these episodes. And he actually thought this was the best episode to date and the funniest episode to date of the season. And I thought, really? So, I mean, I mean, I mean uh, to me, I didn't laugh at all. But obviously, there are people out there who really do like these episodes. And this guy here, the guy who is behind meblogrightgood.com or whatever it is, meblogrightgood, check it out. He really dug this episode. And I thought, okay, well, obviously, there is an audience for these episodes out there. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, everybody's got their something, as I've been uh, prone to say. So, uh, did he give any reasons why he enjoyed this one more than others? He did. Well, in particular with the uh, with the second one, which was the Joan of Arc one, which was called, what was actually called? Hot Child in the City. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I didn't realize actually had titles, each one. He said that he wrote, quote, I just love that the idea that in all wars, each side believes they have God on their side and they're on the righteous path. So maybe it's like God doesn't want to play favorites, which is why here he actually gets caught out. The fact that he's actually trying to put both sides against each other because he doesn't want to actually pick a side. So that was the angle. I didn't actually see it like that. And I thought, that's actually a fair point. Yeah, and certainly an interesting way of looking at it. It doesn't necessarily mean that... uh the episode was all that I didn't find funny, funny or entertaining. No, but at least, it, yeah, there, there was a little thought going into it, at least from this guy's perspective. So, that's the, yeah, that's the thing. I think with these episodes, it's almost like I see these as the writers going into business for themselves because A, they might be a bit bored of writing about the same characters over and over again. They want to do something different. Yes. And they're big, they're big history buffs, the, the writers behind The Simpsons, you know, historical figures, historical stories. So, th- and like, Classic stories like Hamlet, you know, the greatest story ever told, things like that, and the, the Joan of Arc story, they would have wanted to sink their teeth into it and be able to take advantage of the fact that they're the voice behind these characters and do a parody of these said greatest stories of all time. But I just don't think that it makes for an entertaining 22 minutes of television. I, for me personally, I just didn't find it all that entertaining. That's not to say that it's bad. I just personally didn't find it all that entertaining. Well, nor did I. Yeah, I think you've got to have a little more to it than the neat idea of Bart as Hamlet or, you know, Homer as Odysseus or something along those lines. Look, it's not bad and it sort of gives you a decent place to start from. And, you know, you can you can like the uh, the story of Joan of Arc or the, uh, you know, the play of Hamlet as much as you like. But, I mean, if you can't transform it... If you've got these two sort of different pots of um, ingredients, if you've got The Simpsons on one hand and you've got Shakespeare on the other, it's not enough just to mash the two together. I think you have to combine them in an interesting and more more than anything else, funny way. I mean, look, in all honesty, I got more of a laugh out of the bit in Last Action Hero where home, where um, Arnold is playing Hamlet, you know, and he's sort of holding a skull and smoky big stogie and said, to be or not to be. Not to be. <laughs> That's all there is to that, but it's <laughs> but I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, so this doesn't really do a whole lot with it. And there are other aspects of the writing. And I'd be curious to ask you this, Dan. I reckon you might know it a bit more than me. The, the three people who wrote these three separate installments of this episode, yeah. are they were they relatively new writers or were they how many credits did they have on the show prior to this? I was literally about to just look them up. So the three guys you're talking about are Andrew Kreisberg. Or Creek, yeah, Kreisberg, mm-hmm. uh, Josh Lieb, and Matt Warburton. And Matt Warburton is a name I believe we've heard before. But I I'll think just so. Double yeah. check here. So Simpsons episodes by Matt. No, so Tales of the Public Domain is his first one. Uh, Andrew, his first episode that he wrote was doesn't actually say. It just says that he wrote for the Simpsons. So okay. Um, we're flicking through here. 2002-2003, writer of two episodes. I'm thinking, yeah, he hasn't written one of the season yet so far, so that's obviously him, and Josh Lieb doesn't even have a wiki page. So okay. I'm just going to make a guess and an assumption and just assume that, yes, I do think this is the first episode that these three wrote. These are rookie episodes. Yeah. Yeah, one segment each, I'm assuming, and I just don't quite think. But the problem I had with it was that it feels like, not that they don't understand the characters, but they wrote jokes and stories, like jokes, that 
any character could have said. They weren't character-specific jokes. Well, that's the thing. This is this is where we differ because I mean, this is what I was thinking about, particularly with the first one, uh, with uh, the um, the take on the Odyssey. You know, there's that bit where Homer's actually reading the book, and it's the uh, the joke about wood and Trojans, which I actually thought was pretty good. But then, you know, they let it, they labour it just a little bit much. You know, they give Homer the extra punchlines, like if that's about what I think it's about, <laughs> it's hilarious. With all of that, I could really sort of see the seams and the construction, and it felt like to me like this fellow who wrote this episode was sort of given an instruction book, like a, it's your first day at this at Simpsons HQ, and here's some instructions. Here are instructions on writing Homer, you know, and um, you know, Homer likes smut. And he's smarter than he thinks he is, but he's not that smart. Write a joke like that. And that's what wooden Trojans, oh, if that's what about what I think it's about, it's hilarious. That's what that felt to me. Like you're writing for Homer sort of based on a very, uh, on like pre-programmed ideas. It didn't feel sort of natural. It felt kind of, let's give Homer a double entendre that he doesn't quite get or, but, but he knows is smutty, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's, it's it's similar to when we're at work, right? Uh, you know, we have we're designing Simpsons merchandise. Mm-hmm. We have what's called a style guide, and that's what's supplied by the licensor, saying you can make merchandise based on our characters, but they have to look like this, and they can only be like this. Yeah. So it's what you're trying to say is it's almost like they gave these new writers a style guide for the characters. Yeah. But I'll, I'll and I'll give you that. What I was implying more was more the segments. I do. I think the characters in between each one, the, the the bits that got to each story, they felt like the classic characters. But I just think when it got to the the Hamlet's story and the, the Homer's Odyssey and stuff, Homer fit the character, I guess, in, in Homer's Odyssey fine, but yeah. you literally could have put any other characters in the other spots and it would have fit. The only one I think worked well, really, really well, was Moe as Claudius. I like Moe as Claudius, although that was very good. And I, th- yeah. and I think um, casting Lisa as a Joan of Arc-style character yeah. it, it is appropriate. So yeah, definitely. I, I, I thought that worked, that, but, yeah. you know... Didn't really get any gags, but she did get a good collar tuck, which which mm. is always enjoyable. So yeah, it's just um, it's an unfunny episode, but not aggressively sort of unfunny. Like you're cracking bad jokes. It's just like you're cracking dull jokes. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. It's not. I don't think this is a bad episode. It's just not the episode for me. Like like as that review proved, there's definitely people out there that really mm. appreciate it, and that is fine as well. I mean, everyone's entitled to like what they like, and. I don't know. I guess, I mean, the writers have said that they have a great time writing these episodes. So, I don't know. It feels like it's getting more and more like the writers are writing for themselves as opposed to what the fans want, which, I don't know. If you're writing for a show, I guess Bill and Bill Oakley and Josh Weinstein always said that when they wrote the episodes, they wrote the episodes that they wanted to watch. And in turn, the fans liked it. So, yeah. I don't know why it's suddenly become a case of the writers are writing episodes that they want to watch, but the fans don't like it anymore. It's, it's yeah, it's a, it's a weird one as a writer. You know, if you're taking advice from on high, it's always, oh, write what you'd want to see or write what you'd want to read or something along those lines. And it's like, that's, you know, that's perfectly good advice because you will write something quite passionately and enthusiastically, I think. But that doesn't necessarily mean that um, it's automatically going to connect with people. It's It's a real sort of weird tightrope to walk because you want to be sort of specific to your own interests and sometimes that specificity becomes universal but sometimes it just stays so specific it's like oh i'm the only one who thinks this is funny hey my favorite now say all that mr davis what was your favorite moment if you did have one of tales from the public domain <laughs> <laughs> well i did actually and uh, like i've said about previous episodes in season 13, there'll be little bits and pieces that I'll have forgotten were part of this season, uh, but that I recall really enjoying at the time for various reasons. Some smart, some stupid. This is a bit of a silly one, but I always enjoyed it. And I rem- it kind of has some fond memories. I think I was not long married at the time when this episode aired. I remember watching it at the house that, uh, that my wife and I had bought. <laughs> I remember both really chuckling at the, at the bit in Hamlet where... Um, the ghost of Homer shows up and um, it's a, first he's avenge me, avenge me. Then when it's thinking about the method, surprise me, surprise me. And th- finally, a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember for, yes, a long time after that, I used to <laughs> bug my ex-wife by saying, I think I'm going to need a sweater, a sweater. <laughs> <laughs> and to drag out the old line again, that's why I'm no longer married. No, no. It's funny how little moments like that stick with you and you don't actually remember where they come from. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I'd, I'd completely forgotten about that, but I always know that I 
that I really dug. Um, yes, <laughs> that silly bit about a sweater. This isn't a patch on like, which is the episode that has the sort of, oh, no, it's not even like a, a, rec- a recreation of Shakespeare. I think Homer gets a lot of power for some reason. And Lisa says to him, you know, she's got to quote Macbeth, beware the Ides of March. That's what we just did, Homer the Vigilante. No. <laughs> Was that in that? Yeah, yeah. Because oh, it's, okay. it's, it's just, just after it's like, Oh, God. My old man memory. I was like, hey, pal, your car was upside down when we got there. And as for your grandma, she shouldn't have left off like that. <laughs> <laughs> but just, yeah, that uh, Lisa offering this very highfalutin classical advice based on Shakespeare. Beware the odds of March. No. <laughs> actually, I co- actually, I completely apologize. I was wrong. It's not from I that episode. Think I didn't think that it's, was from that. No, you're right. I'm wrong. I just read, It's Homer the Great. Okay, but see, so you're... You literally wrote the book on the Simpsons. I can see it right next to you. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I was going to defer to you in this case, but hey, no, guess who was right. right? There were there were two people in this uh, on this podcast, and one of them's right, and it ain't tandem. It's when he's being painted on the couch. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. I really liked the moment in this. <laughs> so I really liked the way Marge tried to put a positive spin on the end of Joan of Arc. Then I liked her, well, it's much easier to chew than that Bambi video. <laughs> because, yes, one of the saddest moments ever. I think um, 90s kids, I mean, the, the Bambi's mother's being shot's a big one, but also Mufasa being killed is also a big one as well. It is indeed. You're reminding me of something that happened the other day. I um, mean that I went to the dentist. Um, but I go to a very cool and sophisticated dentist where they've got the, um, the video screens on the roof above the um, above the really? dentist chair, wow. yeah, yeah, and they're showing Netflix all day. And this uh, on this one particular occasion, <laughs> seriously, yeah, That's yeah, cool. they were showing. Uh, one time I went and they were showing like a nature documentary with all like the with lions hunting at night. I thought, mm, that's cool. Uh, but <laughs> this other time they were showing Friends. I think it was one particular episode where they were all watching the the old movie Old Yeller. Do you know that mm-hmm. one? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and, oh, yeah, that's uh, right. They try to wrap up the ending. Yeah, yeah. And Phoebe comes in and she's like. Oh, it's one of my favourites. It's such a sweet movie. They get this great dog and, you know, everything goes well. The end. Uh, you don't want to watch this bit, Phoebe. <laughs> yeah, and it was great, uh, great reaction shot by Lisa Kudrow. So, yeah. By the way, speaking of friends, podcast, Nicola and myself, reviewing friends, the one about friends, launches May 27th, the same day as the reunion special. Ooh, good thinking. Nice yes. bit of synchronicity. If you are a friends podcast, I thought, what better day to launch it than when everyone's going to be writing hashtag friends? You're recording a podcast without me. You didn't want to do it. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but what Guy and I are doing right now, listeners, uh, it's going to be available next week. But if you're a Four Finger Discount patient, you can hear the first two episodes already. It's going down to South Park. Yes, that's right. We're going all the way back to the beginning and reviewing all the first three seasons of South Park. And if people did the show, then we'll keep going. But for now, going down to South Park, available exclusively right now on Patreon, but it'll be available in your iTunes or wherever you find a good podcast as of next week. So if you want to check that out as well, please do so, as well as Talking Seinfeld and all of our other podcasts. Next question. You there, eating the paste. Now, Mr. Davis, it is time for some trivia. We've both got three questions, I believe. I'll kick off. <laughs> it was a struggle coming up with three, believe me. Yeah, I've probably got very similar ones. What time did Krusty's? What time was his second show that he didn't get to do because he was boiled in oil or whatever? Ah, so no ten thirty show. Yes. <laughs> what was the code name for the one hundred years war? Fuck. Nah. Operation Speedy Resolution. Speedy Resolution. Correct. Yep. Uh, my second question is: How many eyes does God apparently have? Uh, three. Yep. Correct. Now, yes. You know what I didn't like about that joke? Like that joke's fine. But they reused the same joke, like in the next scene. What, so the five thighs. Yeah, it's like the joke. Oh, the guy's got three eyes. Cool, mm. funny, whatever. He's, he's different. And then oh, I was going straight to my five thighs. I'm like, you just used that joke with the three <laughs> eyes. Yeah, and it wasn't. It wasn't exactly a grade quality beef the first time no. around. Mm. No, I was like, anyway. Uh, yeah. Your next question. Uh, which creator of uh, American television shows could sh- kick Shakespeare's butt? Oh... Man, man, man. Oh, um, Stephen, someone. Stephen Bot. But Boschko? Boschko! Yes. You got oh, I got there eventually. It's <laughs> <laughs> like pulling teeth. Yeah, I was like, I'm like, it's Steve something. Steve, Steve, Steve. Yes, okay. So that's one point for me at least. My final question being 
Uh, where are they? Here we go. How long ago did Homer rent the minivan? Oh. Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, uh, here's, here's a clue. Season six. Now I've got to do maths. Seven years ago? Correct. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Why does um, Polonius uh, hide behind curtains? He has a fear of what? Getting stabbed. <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought the Hamlet act was the best one of the three. That one at least had funny moments to me. Joan of Arc was okay. I thought mm. they progressively got better. The Homer's Odyssey one, I just thought, sort of thought, eh. But I'm not huge. I don't really under, I don't really know the story all that well. I know you, got, yeah. you had to go to different islands to get back home and stuff like that. I did really like the um, going through hell, though, with the with the music playing. True. Um, the skeletons. <laughs> but I just thought the Joan of Arc one, it was like, eh, it's, it's okay. I thought the third one was fine. Third one was okay. I think probably the third one was the, uh, was the best. But yeah, it was a tight competition as to who would not be the worst. You know, so, yeah, uh, a, bit, a bit bland, yeah. Yeah. Alrighty, that is trivia for Tales in the Public Domain. We'll be right back after this short break with our full in-depth review. So the original air date of Tales in the Public Domain was March 17, 2002. It was written by three gentlemen, Andrew Kreisberg, Josh Lieb, and Matt Warburton, uh, directed by the one and only Mike B. Anderson, who I have met, and he is one hell of a gentleman. He is a big fan of our book as well. Uh, he listens to the podcast. Oh, cool. The B stands for bitchin', clearly. Yes, uh, and the chopboard gag was vampire. It's not a career choice. I really dug this couch gag of them just flicking through actual yeah. sketches of the couch gag. Yeah, I thought it was really was nice. something different. Yeah, hmm. I liked it. So it kicks off with Marge going through the bills. We get the I'll kill you letter, which also she thinks is a bill. And then we get the letter from the library, which is an overbook, uh, overdue book notice uh, for Homer. Overdue book? This is the biggest frame-up since OJ. Wait a minute. Blood in the Bronco. The cuts on his hands? Those Jay Leno monologues? Oh my god, he did it! <laughs> what did you think of the OJ gag? I thought, how outdated is this? Yeah, Even and that's that's twice in the, in about maybe three or four episodes they've made some OJ reference or something along those the, lines. What was the other one? Oh, I've forgotten where it was, but it was like maybe two or three episodes ago. I'm going to have to sort of go all the way back yeah. through the notes. And I don't want to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. But they certainly talked about OJ. Oh, that's right, because they made they made a Judge Ito reference, but I think they were sort of even taking the piss about mm. keeping the gags fresh and all that. And then, yeah, a few episodes later, they actually make an OJ gag that is sort of, I guess, the joke is that it's been so long, and yeah, you know, Homer's finally coming to terms with the fact that he did it. I don't know, maybe, but still, not that good a go, not that good a no. gag. No, no, I don't think anyone in two thousand and two was still. It wasn't like the hot topic anymore. Who knows? Mm. Just felt very random and weird. Lisa yeah. then finds the book Classics for Children and Homer says he was going to read it to Bart but never did because stuff kept coming up with the car. <laughs> so he didn't bother <laughs> reading to his child. By the way, noble intention reading to the kids. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that you do it. I'm assuming you break out that copy of Homer's Odyssey and uh, relate that to a young Elliot and Holly. It's like, this is the book that Dad wrote. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool to think that one day I can actually show him a book that I co-wrote with somebody, uh, with Mitch. But... uh. I do read a lot to Elliot. He doesn't we don't do uh, bedtime reading yet. He, mm-hmm. Before bed now, it's more like, most like singing songs and stuff. But we do, you know, it's like sort of the beginning of the bedtime process. We do get a book out because what it does is it calms him down. and allow okay. him to read and he sort of focuses. And because he's focusing on something, using his little mind, tiring himself out. So yeah, but we do, we are big on books here in the Dando household. So it was very noble for Homer to at least think about reading to Bart. <laughs> he never actually did. Very briefly. Then he, we get the joke about he decides who reads and when. Another joke that just sort of went nowhere. Yeah, that again. We'll decide who. I'll decide who reads and who doesn't, or when it happens. And, and okay, now it's like again. That's like writing Homer Simpson. He's impulsive and will change his mind on a whim. Here are three examples of it from previous episodes. <laughs> now create your own. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. First of all, I'm really hooked on doing that bit clearly, um, and secondly, it's probably a bit mean to the writer. So uh, apologies for that. But that's how it felt. No, no, this. Completely justified. I completely agree. It just like that joke there. I just went like twice in the space of thirty seconds. Went, huh? Yeah. You know, yeah. Mm. But uh, so we get Homer's Odyssey, and Homer questions whether that was the story about his minivan he rented once and again. It's just uh, this whole setup. It's just not funny to me. Yeah, Sorry, it get, just wasn't. I didn't really find all that funny. Just getting sort of what turned on by the um, by the many features of the minivan. Mm, yeah. Mm. Anyway, they start getting into the story. So. I didn't realise. Did they actually have title cards this episode? Because apparently this is called Doe Brother Where Art Thou? I did not see that. No, I didn't see it at all. So Doe Brother Where Art Thou is what this one's called. 
yeah, so it's basically all they do is just run through the story of Homer's Odyssey, just a very, very short and condensed version of it. In that review that I read, he said that you know he's a big fan of the of the Homer's Odyssey story, and he thought they did a really fine job of condensing it down. Lost on me. I don't know. Do you, are you do you know the story very well? I don't really know it all that well. Of Not the three really is the one no. I know the least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they sort of. I don't think it's unfaithful, but I think they sort of cherry picked a few bits and pieces from the uh, from the Odyssey to uh, oh, the Trojan horse and stuff's the big one. Yes, yeah, and the, you know, but the sirens and Circe and all that kind of stuff. That's yeah, you know, that's all part of it, absolutely. And returning home to Penelope, who's got you know a shit ton of suitors along the way. So, hi, Odysseus, stupid king of Troy. I think I speak for all the Greeks when I say this war has gone on for too long. I'll say I'd really like to go out and get the mail. Anyway, over torture, one of your soldiers mentioned that you collect giant wooden animals. We hope you don't have a horse. Well, I I don't have one from you. Bring it in. Do you want to explain the when people get wood, they'll think of Trojans joke then? Okay, well... Wood, as some of us may know, is is slang for an erection, for a hard-on. And Trojans, I don't know, if, I mean, do we have Trojans in Australia? Trojans is, of course, a brand of condom. Yeah. Uh, I think I think it's probably one of the most well-known American brands. I think Trojan to most people my age are um, viruses. <laughs> oh, cool. Like a, oh, yeah, <laughs> that <Yeah>. makes sense. <laughs> Which in 2002 probably wasn't even a thing. <laughs> I don't think so, no. Homer explains the story, the Greek soldiers crept from the horse during the night and slayed all of uh, King Troy's uh, King of Troy's men. They suggest an animal sacrifice. Homer refuses. So we get here all of the gods in the sky. So we've got Quimby and Poseidon. Who was Barney supposed to be? I've forgotten who sort of wielded lightning because I, I thought Zeus wielded lightning. So, yeah, um, but Quimby was Zeus here. I'm not yeah. too sure, but Barney throws lightning around. He wants, he wants the old cool Zeus to come back, but, he, mm. but he's not. He's, he's grown up. And uh, then Poseidon is in charge of putting Odysseus's uh, travel back home all out of whack. And uh, he does so by being an angry cloud, doesn't he? He doesn't. <laughs> They're all drunk on their boat on the way back. Greece is the word. Discussion about vase or vase. I just, oh, this is fine, but it's just, to me, just not that funny. One of our fine patrons, and I will uh, mention their name a bit later because... I can't remember it. Um, but uh, in coming up with new names for this episode, basically said... All filler, no killer. And mm-hmm. it's like, honourable mention to you, uh, whoever you are, sir, but uh, yeah, that sums it up quite nicely. The only thing is, there's quite a lot of killers in this. True. <laughs> not, not, not lines, but um, yes, killer characters, not killer lines. So the angry cloud, aka Poseidon, aka Sea Captain, blows them away to the crazy islands and they're lured in by the... The sirens. The sirens have that lovely enchanting song that drives men mad, lures them to their doom. Uh, and then you get there with and realise that's, ah, it's Patty and Selma. So you yep. just get out, get out of there as quickly as possible. They try to get back to Ithaca and uh, Sea Captain flicks them away again just to be a dick. Now Marge in the meantime is hoping that Homer, when he returns, uh, Odysseus still has the, phys- is still the physical specimen as he <laughs> left. The only, actually sorry, I shouldn't say the only, an issue I have with the timeline of this act in particular mm-hmm. is that they keep repeating that Homer's been gone, or Odysseus has been gone for 20 years. So how in God's name is he Bart's father? Okay. Mm. <laughs> I have no answer to that. I have no answer. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't even occur to me, but yes, now that you mentioned it, it's like, huh. Discus Stew has Uzo for Tuzo. I'll leave you guys alone. Discus Do was talking to you. <laughs> Pedophilia jokes now? What? Yeah, look, I was when I heard ooze over twos, I'm like, <laughs> funny. <laughs> then you had to sort of blow it with the gross out gag. Look, even if you are making a comment about uh, yeah, some of the things they got up to in ancient Greece, because you know that was part of the culture back then. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, but still. <laughs> Yeah, you might want to play that a little more delicately, even in the relatively unenlightened times of 2002. Leave that on Family Guy. You don't need it. Yes, but again, as we're saying, it's very much keeping up with the Griffins this time around. Yeah, uh, that actually would be a good name for a podcast, keeping up with the Griffins. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark Four Finger Discount Network. <laughs> I decided to flick them away to Cersei the Sorceress. Uh, they drink from the cauldron. Now, honestly, with, I'm the voice this, of, that, with the voice of Lindsay Nagel, by the way, which I thought was yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they see all these skeletons around the cauldron, 
And I thought, all right, well, it's too obvious that something bad's going to happen to him. They're going to drink from it. They're going to be fine or whatever. Like, I mean, they're going to be a, a different spit on the story. But no, they just drink from it, become pigs. Homer we- eats them. Yeah. They do turn into pigs in the Odyssey. They are not eaten. <laughs> yes. However, yeah, so. yeah. That's the spin. Yeah, yeah. But I, I thought that something different was going to happen. But no. Yeah. So Homer mm-hmm. eats them all. It's the next best thing to eating Lenny. He has to, he's told he has to, after he realizes he's eating all these friends, he's going to go home. He's told he has to go through Hades, crossing the river Styx. I love this. And if you look at the background here, one of the skeletons flashes. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> I didn't see that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and just a little jab at metal music in general. This is hell. The suitors are now all sick of waiting. He's been waiting years and years and years for Odysseus to return. He hasn't returned. Helen of Troy is now looking like Agnes. It has been 20 years, and you suitors have been very patient. We've been beyond patient. When we came here, Helen of Troy was hot. Now look at her. This is the face that launched a thousand ships. The other way. Ha 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 ha. Homer eventually arrives. Odysseus eventually arrives. Marge is uh, annoyed with him for taking so long. <laughs> you know, he says it's time to take out the trash. So he kills all the suitors. Then basically Penelope says, oh, tell me about your travels. And he says, oh, stop, you know, stop smothering me. I'm going to Moe's. I'm like, ah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I can see how that joke, in, in your head, I can see how that might work. It's like, oh, this... You know, quest lasting decades, spanning ages, all this kind of business. He gets home, gonna mose, see ya. So it's a nice anti climax climax that, if played pitch perfectly and note perfectly, yeah, that worked. But uh, yeah, this just didn't quite pull it off. Next act, which is called Hot Child in the City, is the Joan of Arc story. Um, not the Joan so, Van Arc story. No, which was what Marge wants. She's very disappointed that it's not. <laughs> so Herbert tells a story about, you know, set in this make believe kingdom known as France. And we get a story about Operation Speedy Resolution, as you said earlier. Hmm. Bart's making pate out of killing ducks, just hmm. squashing them. Lisa is talking to her invisible friend, God. Uh, I always think Harry does a fantastic job of voicing God. I remember when we voiced, um, oh, sorry, when we interviewed Harry, he was kind enough to do the meaning of life is <laughs> for us. And I was like, ah, oh, it's Harry doing God. <laughs> <laughs> so God tells her to lead fr- the French army to victory over the English. The family just refused to believe this. Like, no, as if. No, you. What do you mean, you? As if you can. Hmm. And then, well, I think it was, what does Homer say? We're French. We don't even have a word for victory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Something I noticed here, I mean, I think there's a bit where Lisa, is, as, as Joan of Arc, is talking to some soldier. And there's no real joke. It's just that he's got a British accent and kind of a snooty accent. Do you mean when she stabs him? Oh, it's a bird, isn't it? Yes, that's yeah. It's just like that's that's the that's the joke that you know. With yeah. He's got kind of a chav accent or something, and he gets stabbed by by Lisa. It's like again, mostly filler, zero killer. Even though he did get stabbed. Wait, I have been sent to lead the French army to victory. <laughs> yeah, really. And how are you going to do that? With modern ideas like putting bigger, harder people in the catapults, or. How about rocks? I don't know how to feel just now. And now, attack! Ah! Uh, Shouldn't we help her? Yeah, right behind you, Lou. Ah! (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, there's my supervisor. Hello, hello, hello. What's all this, then? It's a little bird with a knife, isn't it? Oh! Oh, what a thing to happen. She is going to get honoured by the king, but she's smart enough to know that Quimby is not actually the king. It's actually Milhouse. I really did enjoy, though, Milhouse's pompous chuckle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I wrote down, yes, I'm a big fan of yeah, Milhouse's this shit little Dauphin, this little, you know, French prince you know, <laughs> with the um, with the dreadful uh, bowl haircut that I think, uh, you know, that uh, the French royal in question actually had. Yeah, it's, it's a good look. Well, it's not a good look for him, not a good look for anyone, but kind of works on Milhouse for some reason. Who's the little shithead king from um, Game of Thrones? Is it Joffrey? Joffrey. He's a bit Joffrey-ish, yeah. So Joffrey, right, the guy who played Joffrey, see, I've never watched. I've Actually, I've watched the first episode of Game of Thrones. That's it. Can't really remember much about it, right? I remember a kid falling off a window at the end or something. But 
I went to uh, Supernova, which is kind of like the Australian Comic Con, but just you know nowhere near as good. It's just it's just our <laughs> poor excuse for a Comic Con, right? Yep. But I was um, managing the guys from Cheese TV, Jaden Ryan. I was backstage in the green room having lunch. I was having lunch with this guy, you know, just, just talking to him. I thought it was just uh, one of the workers there. He had the Supernova tag around his neck and blah blah mm. blah. I'm like, hey, cool, talking about the guests, blah blah blah. What I'm, what I'm doing there? Great guy. And then. He leaves and the, the cheese dudes come over and go, I see you're good friends with King Joffrey. I went, what? They go, King Joffrey? I went, who? They go, from Game of Thrones. I'm like, oh, it's even Game of Thrones. Like, yeah, it's like one of the biggest stars. I'm like, huh? <laughs> okay. But the, the guy who played him, absolute legend. He was so yeah. kind. Yeah, I've forgotten, I've forgotten his surname, but I think his first name is Jack. And um, Yeah, he was, he was just, I think he maybe just appreciated someone talking to him about anything Game of Thrones, not Game of Thrones. Well, he got his, of course, his um, his big break as Joffrey. Although he was in Batman Begins, he's the okay. um, he's the little kid in um, in the Narrows who's kind of like I've lost my mom, and um, yeah, the cop is like, get out of here, kid. And um, anyway, that's it. And I, th- I, I think he sees Batman like beating up the Scarecrow or something like. That. No one's going to believe me that I saw Batman. Here you go, kid. Have a battering. Cool. Um, but anyway, but yeah, this Jack guy oh, can't remember his surname. After Game of Thrones, you know, he could probably go on and do other stuff, but he's like, eh, you know what, acting's not really my thing. I think I'm going to go be an academic. I'm going to go study at this prestigious Irish university and, yeah, maybe, like, be a lecturer in history or some shit like that. I'm like, eh, this guy's got his head screwed on right. Good on you, kid. Yeah. Good, good for and him, clearly, yeah. he's got, clearly he's got good taste in people because he sat down and had a good chat with Dan. <laughs> but he was just, yeah, it was just, honestly, it was just like talking to a normal dude. And I know that sounds silly because everyone's normal, but he... Was not the slightest bit pompous, but everyone's like, "Oh, he's like he plays such a horrible person in the show," and I'm like, <laughs> "Really?" Because he was like a sweetheart. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, yeah. So Millhouse is very much like King Joffrey in this. Yes, I'm assuming anyway because that's what apparently he's like. That's what I've been told anyway. <laughs> that's my King, jo- King Joffrey story. But yeah, Quimby is actually not the king. He's the vibrating footstool for Millhouse. We're now at dinner, and still they're playing up the Lisa Millhouse dynamic of. Milhouse wants Lisa. She doesn't want him back. She uses mm-hmm. the fake excuse of, God says we should just be friends. Krusty <laughs> <laughs> is the jester, which they use twice in this episode. Again, he's a jester in the next oh, episode yeah. as well. Or is he the jester in the next one or more just the entertainer? Not really a jester, I guess, in the next one. Yeah, still sort of a fool. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, it's a, it's a similar role. Loyal subjects, let us drink to Joan of Arc, who will conquer the English and has already conquered my heart. <laughs> Uh, God says we should just be friends. I wouldn't say King Millhouse is a loser, but that's the twelfth girl he struck out with this week. Oil him in oil! So no 10.30 show? Lisa is then leading the army once again. So the English here... I know, so she, first she says their concept of individual rights will undermine the power of our beloved tyrants. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but uh, again, the English, it's just, them, it's just an excuse for them to do bad English accents. It's not really all that funny. Yeah, just a couple of poncy British guys sort of, oh, oh dear. <laughs> but I did like yeah. them when one actually dies, the last thing you hear is, yeah. oh my, or something. Oh, oh, oh my word, yeah. Oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I like that, exactly what I've got here as well, yeah. Then Lisa's acting all tough, or Joan of Arc's acting all tough. Willie captures her, I want my mommy. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to call my only witness, Almighty God. <gasps> I told this maiden to lead the French to victory. Wait a minute, you two-diamond spot of light. You told me to lead the English to victory. <gasps> Is that true, Lord? <laughs> well, I never thought the two of you would be in the same room, actually. Uh, this is a little embarrassing. Goodbye, now. That was weird. Let's burn her. Yeah, burn her, burn her. Cleverly done here. So you think they're going to have Mole Man as God. You're like, ah, I can actually buy this. I'm like, I'm, I'm willing to run with this because I love Mole Man. But no, opens up the roof and the light comes through. This is where God gets caught out, doesn't he? He does, yes. God is yeah. uh, playing both sides of the street. He is, yeah. He told Billy to... Providing motivation and insight and, and yeah, to, to both uh, yeah, Joan of Arc and uh, Groundskeeper Willie as um, some dude on the other side. <laughs> yeah, some Englishman. So God gets nervous and bails. This is, this is what I got here. It's lazy in the sense that 
to me, it just comes across lazy writing where it just has Lenny go, well, that was weird. Let's burn yeah. her. I'm like, oh. Yeah, that's... Uh, I don't know if it was representative of like the early 2000s or something like that, but things like, that was weird or... So that happened. We can't just have it go to the next scene. We have to acknowledge, well, that was silly. Yeah, I mean, it's not a, j- a get-out-of-jail-free card for, for comedy writers. It's sort of like, uh, we can't close this scene with a, like, a, good, a good comedic button. We're just going to go like, hmm, and scene. It's like, nah, but nah, doesn't work. To, to, give, to give the writer of this credit, though, like to, 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 to defend him, they did use the same joke even all the way back in season eight for Homer versus the 18th Amendment, an episode we just reviewed for the patrons, mm-hmm. was the Skipperhead one. When Rex Banner gets shot away in the catapult, Quimby goes, well, that was unexpected. Mm. So they've been doing it for years, I guess. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Maybe I didn't. I don't think I really appreciate. I don't think I really dug it then. I don't dig it now. The ending of this, I guess, is supposed to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. In that Marge is pleading, "Don't, don't burn her. She's just a child. She was told by God to to do this. You know, she's mm. she thought she was doing the right thing, and then burn her alive. You know, they they actually did burn Joan of Arc alive at the stake. They did horrible. Yeah, horrible, yeah. horrible, horrible. And it's so it's at, at least that makes sense for this to. I feel like a somewhat horrible ending, but they do make it uh, funny with Marge <laughs> giving her own little spin and then choosing to eat it. I, I did actually like that because that's me being a parent, I think. <laughs> <laughs> what happened, Dad? They didn't really burn her, did they? Of course they didn't, honey. Just then, Sir Lancelot rode up on a white horse and saved Joan of Arc. They got married and lived in a spaceship. The end. <laughs> well, it's easier to chew than that Bambi video. Act three, it's the Hamlet one. Let's have a look at what the Simpsonized version of it. The Simpsons called it Do the Bard Man. Bart says that Stephen Botchko is a better writer than Shakespeare. And Marge said, uh, sorry, and Lisa says, no, 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 this is actually the, one of the greatest stories of all time. Bart asked, can he get married to his mum? And Homer says, I don't know, but that would be hot. And I'm like, what? Again, I think yeah, it's just Homer's sort of reptile brain, like anything that's even vaguely sexy or sort of like has romantic intrigue or whatever, he'd be like, Ooh. But, uh, but, but why would Bart ask does he get married to his mum I think I don't know if it, I don't know if it's subtext in um, in Hamlet that um, does, does, it, does he does he like his mother yeah that Hamlet that Hamlet's kind of into his mum I don't know I think there are some interpretations of it like that so okay yeah but Hamlet's open to a lot of different interpretations Hamlet avenge me dad yes I have returned from the dead Looks like you've returned from the buffet. Well, you little dick. <laughs> My son, I have some shocking news. I was murdered. Murdered, I tells you. Really? Behold, as I slept, your Uncle Claudius poured poison in my ear. Poison most foul. So he could marry your mother and become the king. Yeah, that was quite a weekend. Now you must avenge me! Avenge me! How? I don't know. Surprise me! Surprise me! Could that fat ghost be telling the truth? First, I've got to get Uncle Claudius to confess. Then I've got to kill him. It's cold outside. You'll need a sweater. A sweater! Krusty is the jester here. And we get the, the a bit more of a stand-up comedian almost here. He makes the joke about Vikings. Who's the, oh, I forgot the name of the comedian who's um like I think it's Jeff Foxworthy, this uh, American comedian, sort of like a a guy from the south. And that was kind of his tagline: it's like if you like such and such, you just might be a redneck. And um, I think that was yeah, this guy Jeff Foxworthy's kind of main claim to fame. We did get a sitcom out of it, so yeah, more power to him. He's probably doing quite well. What was his sitcom? The Jeff Foxworthy Show. Oh, okay. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, 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 I, do, I honestly don't know how I remember that. I feel like sitcoms that are The Something Show don't tend to work out all that well usually. I mean, you got the Cosby Show that worked, Seinfeld worked, but it wasn't The Jerry Seinfeld Show. Yeah, I think the, the sort of the default mode for that is there are just all manner of family sitcom scripts floating around. Yeah. And it's like, well, people seem to like you and your, you know, wacky take on things. We'll transplant a bit of that into this generic, I'm a dad with a, you know, with a, a wife who's too good for me and three daughters who don't respect me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
Actually, that sounds pretty good. I'd watch that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you according to Jim. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing about... Well, not the funny thing about Jim Belushi, but I mean, um, I follow him on Twitter and he sort of just mm. reinvented himself as this um, very cool laid-back cannabis farmer who's sort of talking about all the, you know, the cool buds that he's growing. And he's like getting into anime. He's like... Hey, I think animes are meant to be really good. What what do you recommend? And all these people are going like, check out Attack on Titan. I think that was probably our <laughs> pal Dylan Haggard. Um, but, um, or check out such and such or whatever. And all these people are like, you know, we spent so long making fun of according to Jim and all that shit. And now Jim Belushi is just, you know, this cool weed farmer who wants to know about anime. What a king. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, good on you, Jim. <laughs> I feel like if you... If you- you spend long enough away from the limelight, people then start to go, hey, he's all right. <laughs> it is the natural course of, of, of uh, showbiz notoriety slash personality. You've, you know, you've got your come up, you've got your thing of success, you've got to slump for a bit, you've got to be like, oh, do you believe we actually like that person? No, they suck. Oh. And then after a while, it's like, hey, wait a minute. No, they weren't that bad. Oh, let's bring them back. You know, it's like, and then... If it's a guy, that it's usually and so and so as the president rolls. I hate to bring up his name once again, but Brendan Fraser fits that perfectly. He's having that now, yeah. I mean, there's yes. you've got so many people who are sort of like, oh man, we miss Brendan Fraser. Oh, that guy, yeah, that guy was a really good. George actor. of the Jungle, man. Yeah, George of the Jungle. You know, and <laughs> um, you know, he's making a bit of a comeback. He's got roles in a, in a few things coming up, and uh, yeah, he's just generally yeah. People are having that thing where it's like, oh, remember him in the Mummy? That guy was so cool. And so yes, yeah. he's, having, he's having that at the moment. Now we would like to warn you, our performances tend to make audience members blurt out hidden secrets. Oh boy. Aha! Me thinks the play's the thing, wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. Catch my conscience? What? You're not supposed to hear me. That's a soliloquy. Okay, well, I'll do a soliloquy too. <clears throat> Note to self, kill that kid. Okay, we're going to open it up with a little improv. Somebody shout out a location. This castle. Okay, how about an occupation? Usurper of the throne. I think I heard usurper of the throne. Now, finally, I need an object. Ear poison. Hey, uh, do you have diarrhea? I I have diarrhea. Sit down. Wait a minute, I didn't use that much poison. I, uh, I mean, I didn't use that much poison son, at the Royal Luau. <laughs> I did like on the ear poison that Sideshow Mel was pouring in as, as part of the act. It said, ear poison, do not get in eyes. <laughs> I missed that. Oh, oh, yeah, man. Nice. Uh, Mo confesses to not using uh, that much ear poison. And everyone's like, what do you mean? But... What this reminded me of once was an episode of Judge Judy, right? Getting back to Judge Judy. Of so it was a, a young girl and a young guy. The young girl was the plaintiff, the young guy was the defendant. The young girl claimed that the young man stole her handbag. He says, I didn't see a handbag, never touched a handbag, don't know what you're talking about. So Judge Judy says to the girl, okay, before we get into things, before I go to the defendant, can you just tell me what was in your handbag? And she goes, I had, like, oh, she says things like a bracelet, a phone, a watch, Defendant interrupts and goes, Ah, oh, Your Honor, there was no watch in that handbag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you chump. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> just usually looks at him and just smiles. <laughs> I mean, those three items weren't exactly what they said, but basically you just yeah. replace them with what he actually says. Like, no, no, Your Honor, that was not in the handbag. <laughs> <laughs> just reminded me of that where uh, Claudius is like, oh, I didn't use that much poison. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So Ophelia, she's annoyed that Hamlet is acting crazy, so she jumps out the window. I was like, this is just stupid. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Ophelia does kill herself in Hamlet. Spoiler. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> but, I understand that, but I don't know. Yeah. Man. Is she is she meant to be whacked? Got, I don't remember. Got to, got to give Lisa something to do in this scene? I guess so. Uh, Hamlet is about to kill Claudius in bed. Well, he thinks he's in bed, but he's not. It's just his mum, Pen- uh, Penelope. No, that's not her name. What's, what's her name in this? Uh, Gertrude. Gertrude, yes. Penelope's the Homer's Odyssey. Yeah. So he stabs the Polonius, who was behind the curtain. I mean, he's hiding behind the curtain because he has a fear of getting stabbed. I did kind of feel sorry for Ralph here. 
Daddy's stomach is crying. <laughs> and I feel sorry for Ralph. <laughs> Tells him to avenge his death. So we get two avenged deaths in this one story. I'm going to kill Hamlet. Here's my mad face. Aha, <laughs> <laughs> cute kid. But just in case you don't kill Hamlet, I put some poison on the food, on the drapes, even on uh, Rosen, Carl, and Gildenlenny here. If Hamlet touches either of us, he's dead. Booyah! <laughs> now, Hamlet, you know the rules. Laertes here gets uh, one practice stab. Oh, boy! Boy, did I bet on a wrong horse. <laughs> now there's nothing to stop me from getting my vengeance. You sure you don't want a nice piece of fish or uh, to finger the drapes a little? This ends here! <gasps> oh. <laughs> Remember me as a peacemaker. Ah. And now, to celebrate life. Whoa, bloody floor! Ugh. No way I'm cleaning up this mess. So we get back to real world, and uh, Lisa explains, you know, that's, and that's, that's the greatest thing ever written. And Homer says, it also became a great movie. Ghostbusters. And then they dance for about 20 seconds to the Ghostbusters theme. Was it 20 seconds? Because it felt like infinity. Yeah, I think it's probably less than 20 seconds. Probably like 10 seconds. But you're right. right. I just got here. What is happening? Yeah. Honestly, the Ghostbusters bit felt like you got into an elevator. You pressed the button for the 12th <laughs> floor. Someone farted the most heinous biscuit at, <laughs> at the third floor. And you've got to still ride the elevator all the way to 12. That's what it felt like. It's like... I'm stuck. I'm stuck here with this god awful stench of them dancing to Ghostbusters. I love the Ghostbusters theme. Who does not? You're only human. Yes, exactly. But why was this here? Uh, is it meant to be like a a cool bait and switch? Like oh, the it's the opposite of Hamlet. It's Ghostbusters. It's like yeah, I've got uh, it. I've got it. Okay, I've got it. Right. You got it. Okay. The guys. This the guys who wrote this episode wanted a job on Family Guy, but they couldn't get a job on Family Guy. So they used The Simpsons to write a Family Guy episode uh, to get up a Family Guy. <laughs> once again, keeping up with the Griffins. <laughs> so all in all, I'm sure, and it's been proven with that review I read for me, Blog Write Good, that there are fans of these kind of episodes out there. Just not for me. I'm not going to say it's bad. I just, except for that ending. That ending was just ridiculous. It's These episodes just, to me, aren't funny. I mean, if we're, like, we talk about Family Guy, right? At least when Family Guy has a parody, they do a good job of it. You know, like the Star Wars mm. Blue Harvest or whatever it was. Yeah. They did a really good job of that, right? And it was a similar similar kind of thing. It was just the Family Guy characters doing Star Wars. But at least there was funny jokes in there. Yeah. These, I'm just like, I don't But maybe it's a case of, in saying that, maybe it's a case of because I'm a big Star Wars fan, I like the jokes and I find it funny. Maybe if you're a huge Hamlet fan, you're a huge fan of Joan of Arc story and, and of Homer's Odyssey, that you would find this funnier? I don't know. I Maybe. don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case. I mean, they, um, I look, I would not consider myself a scholar or a super fan when it comes to any of these things, but, I, you know, I think I know a bit about them. Uh, and there's nothing that's kind of that insightful or piss-take funny about any of these, really. Yeah. From yeah. that, In that regard, no, there's just not. What do we learn, Palmer? So what'd you learn from the episode, Mr. Davis? Because I've got nothing here. <laughs> uh, that if you're going to make a cool joke about um, having ooze over Tuzo, uh, don't spoil it with a, a joke about uh, coming on to a kid. Yeah, pedophilia should just be completely segregated from The Simpsons. Do not yes, include it. it. Yes, indeed. Yes, keep, keep it off screen where it belongs. Oh, wait a minute. From this day forward, your names will be... All right, Mr. Davis, it's now time for the Guy Davis New Name Championship. The da, current da, da, leaderboard da, da, stands da. at this. All righty, in third position on nine points, uh, it is Josh the Clipper Hedge. On 10 points, we have Stephen Roberts. And on 12 points, we have Garode Harrahill in first position. All right, take it away. What do we got? 
Well, we got a few honourable mentions to begin with. I will say that a lot of people were paying tribute to uh, Dando and the M-Word, um, of course Mitch, um, with uh, retitling this episode, Homer's Odyssey. Um, not unlike a book that's available where all good books are sold. <laughs> that's all well and good, but I figured, uh, look, it's a bit too close to connections, so and we won't go with that. One other thing that I wanted to sort of uh, address with the new names of this is, because this is you know divided into episodes... Mm. I wanted to give points to new names that took in or took in everything. Didn't just focus on one of the uh, of the three installments, which is so, a trend you've done in the past as well. Yeah, it is. So terrific titles that focused on just one thing, like Andrew Pellicati's Bartlett, um, not bad. Yes, or Nora Coker's Steamed Hamlet. I actually really like that Steamed Hamlet. Very good. That's pretty good. Yeah, Garrod Hammerhill gave us Troy Story and. Dark night, <laughs> as in because Joan of Arc is the Arc, and yeah, uh, yeah, so pretty good, good, good stuff that, that, from you that, know. That, that Troy story is actually that's pretty they good stuff there, guys. They weren't, yeah, they weren't bad. Big fan, but but when we come to uh, gold, silver, and bronze, hmm. chose ones that had a bit more sort of uh, a bit more of an overarching kind of thing. Yeah, so one point uh, goes to actually the aforementioned Andrew Year of the Cat Pelicati. Hmm. Um, who I think his thoughts may echo our own when it comes to this episode. The Simpsons present, writers take a holiday. (laughs) (laughs) Bit harsh, but uh, kind of appropriate. One point to Andrew for that. Two points to Adam uh, Vergon, baby gone. Hang on. Vergon? Vergona? Vergona? I'm sorry, my, my Adam, my handwriting is dreadful here. I don't know if it's an E or an A on the end of your name. I should look it up on the internet. But I'm going to give you the nickname Vergon Baby Gone because it sounds cool. Um, and I, what was also cool was your alternative title, Don't Make Any More Like This, Please. You can't give two points for that. <laughs> Just, these, aren't, these aren't creative. <laughs> I quite liked it. It was in my, Okay, when, when it came to creative... We'll save the best for last. We'll save it three points because Philip uh, Hudson Hawk Hawkins gave us so many good new titles. Uh, okay. He gave us like four. Wow, wait. He gave us Jones, Danes, and Argomobiles, taking the Simpsons literaturely. Very good. Mm-hmm. Book Smart, S M R T. I like and, it. And Homer Spun Stories. Well, at, le- at least. They weren't just shitting on the episode. <laughs> but anyway, since the uh, the big hawk has now got himself three points, that means he has climbed his way into the top three. So the current leaderboard now stands at this in third position. Stephen Roberts on 10 points. Phil Hawkins now climbed his way from fourth to second on 11 points. And Garode Harahill on 12. Atop the leaderboard just by one point. He's still hanging in there. But right now, Mr. Davis, I think it might be time for some... Debate! Mailbag time for Tales from the Public Domain, Mr. Davis. We had a few questions come through. Not as many as usual, but I guess that sort of sums up this episode. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't muster up a lot of enthusiasm, this episode, i got to say. It doesn't really, no. Uh, First one here we're going to read is from Noah Daniel, our groundskeeper, resident groundskeeper, over in Chicago, I believe. Uh, He says, is this episode on par with Simpsons Safari as being one of the worst episodes? Dave Abbott-Smith chimed in there saying, no. He actually doesn't mind this episode. Come to think of it, he thinks Simpsons Safari is a fun watch as well. Your thoughts, Mr. Davis? Look, I think my issue with the... Look, my love or lack of love for um, Simpsons Safari is, of course, well known as now on the record. With this episode that we've just uh, been talking about, I didn't think this was a bad episode so much as a bit of a nothing episode. Yeah, it wasn't offensive. It was just kind of like, can something interesting happen, please? (laughs) Kind of the case, yeah. I think for, for me at least, Simpson Safari is still uh, wearing the belt, uh, holding high the, uh, the Championship Cup as, you know, a complete stinker. Uh, whereas this was kind of like, mm, yeah, okay, that happened. You know, no, no harm, no foul, shall we say, with this episode. Whereas um, Simpson Safari kind of, uh, I don't know, leaves a bit of a scar. Next question, Brandon Twitchell says, what Australian folktale slash legend would make for a good Simpsons bit. I was surprised they didn't have Ned Kelly, a Ned Kelly reference in Bart vs. Australia. They may have had Ned Kelly running in the crowd chasing after him at the end. I'm not too sure, but yeah, Ned Kelly's kind of like the biggest folk tale that Australia... I mean, Australia's history isn't that old 
in regards to like Australia, but we have many indigenous uh, stories and whatnot that it, like would be incredible to do a Simpsons parody of. I believe that is the case, yeah. It sounds terrible, but they're not like mainstream stories, you know what I mean? Like There's not stories that we really grew up with, the indigenous ones. Not really, no. And look, that, that's probably going to be changing. I mean, from what I understand, yeah, hopefully the, uh, so. High school curriculum is going to start including a lot more Indigenous culture and Indigenous yep. history in their uh, in their curriculum, which is uh, mm-hmm. which is great and, and long overdue. Um, you mentioned Ned Kelly. Now, here's the thing: you know, there have been, to the best of my reckon, at least three big screen movies about Ned Kelly. Three. I only know the uh, the Heath Ledger one. Is the Heath Ledger? There's the Heath Ledger one. There was one made back in the seventies with Mick Jagger as Ned Kelly. Mick Jagger, get the fuck out, really? For real, yeah. It's just called Ned Kelly. Um, I think I saw it ages ago and thought, hmm, this is very nineteen seventy or very much of its time. Um, and then there was recently one called The True History of the Kelly Gang, um, which uh, took a bit more of a weird kind of psychedelic approach to it. Um, who was in it? Russell Crowe was in it as like Ned Kelly's mentor. It was it was actually it was pretty interesting. Not a bit, not a bad movie. But we we, we also had one. Uh, I think it was called Chopper. <laughs> That's true. I think Chopper would probably no, no Chopper would not be better known than Ned Kelly. You talked about how you found it curious that um, Ned Kelly didn't make an appearance in um, in Bart vs Australia. Honestly, I think if you went outside the if you went outside Australia and said, Whew, "How about that Ned Kelly?" Americans or maybe even English people would kind of go, uh, no, nah, not quite up with that one. Test cricketer? Um, <laughs> yeah, whereas everyone sort of knows Billy the Kid, for instance. But, yeah. uh, so I'm not surprised that he didn't sort of make the cut in Bart's vs. Australia because I don't think he's that well-known or that iconic outside Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I think if they did another one, another sort of Australia-themed episode, it'd be nice if someone like did, did get a mention, even as just a sort of like an Easter egg or a shout-out to us. You know, if we saw like the um, the famous sort of tin armor or helmet or anything like that, we'd kind of go, eh, "Ned Kelly shout out." So that could be nice. In in answer to to, to our man Twitch's um, question, though, I mean, I reckon um, if you want to do like an Aussie tales of the public domain, I don't know if it's actually public domain, but you know, there's the great poet Banjo Patterson. He did the poem "The Man from Story River," which of course was turned into a way before your time, Nando, of course, but. I, Back in 82, when the, the movie The Man from Snow River came out, it was huge. Was there not like a TV film that came later? Because I could have sworn there was something in the 90s when I was a kid, or maybe they just were showing reruns. There was a bit of a Man from Snowy River kind of industry for a while there, because the movie was a huge hit when it, when it came out in the early 80s. I think it cost something like $3 million to make, and it made something like $50 million. So, you know, absolute monster. And of course, they did a sequel. Uh, which I don't think as many people know about or care about, and they yeah, did a TV version for a while or a TV series for a while. That's what I can remember, I think. Was that the 90s? Late 80s, early 90s, I think. It um, okay. co-starred uh, Geelong's second most famous guy, Guy Pearce. Yeah, so there you go. So, yeah, remember Snow River? I honestly don't know anything about it. I just remember seeing... I could, like, visualise the title card for some reason. I think my mum used to really enjoy it. It was like, oh, for, yeah. for some reason, when I used to look at it, it reminded me of because my mum used to love that Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Remember that show? Oh, oh. <laughs> my, my mum was obsessed with that show. I always just saw, I looked at it and gone, that looks like Dr. Quinn. I'm not watching it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it really did sort of set a few trends for a while. I mean, I remember yeah, back in the early 80s, there was a lot of people wearing Dreiser bones and um, RM Weed's boots and uh, yeah, crack and stock whips. Crack and stops was huge for a while for some reason. Between that and Indiana Jones. So. <laughs> I think more than a few eyes were taken out as a result. Final question comes from Mr. Mark Boston Burgess, and he says, what is your favourite Shakespeare play? Tell us, Mr. Davis, which one do you prefer? Is Hamlet up there for you or...? My favourite Shakespeare. Well, time to put my snooty hat on and twirl my moustache a little bit. Um, look, if, I'm, if we're talking comedies, uh, it's much ado about nothing, which I think is just delightful. And if we're going to be tragic, I really dig Macbeth. I think Macbeth's a, a terrific play. Um... Yeah, I just, I'm just really into it. But uh, and Or King Lear, because usually when someone's ready to take on the title role in King Lear, they've been around for a while, they've uh, achieved a bit of a reputation, and you know you're going to see some just some top-shelf acting. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think they're my favourite Shakespeare's. There you go. All right, guys, thank you for listening to our review of Tales from the Public Domain. Hope you enjoyed the review. Like we said, not a terrible episode, just kind of there. Uh, next week is going to be, let me have a look, Tales from the Public Domain. Let's look it up. Mm-hmm. on the Google, what the next episode shall be. Alrighty, so on the wiki page, next week we are going to be reviewing Blame It On Lisa. Oh my, this is the one where they go to Brazil. <laughs> and 
for some reason, I remember really liking the last act of this episode when Homer gets kidnapped. I can remember okay. myself finding it hysterical. So, I am looking forward to checking this one out because it gets nothing but bad reviews, this one, and Brazil hated this episode, people in Brazil. <laughs> so, I really actually can't wait to go check this out. So, next week is Blame okay. It On Lisa. Really, really excited for this one, actually. Really, really pumped mm. for it. Haven't watched it in a very, very, very long time. Don't forget, guys, to rate and review us in the iTunes store. It is a great way to support the show. Uh, also, a way to support the show is by becoming a four-figure discount patron, where you get access to not only a bunch mm-hmm. of exclusive podcasts, but also access into the four-figure discount Facebook group, where you can not only banter with fellow patrons, but also go on myself on a daily basis. We're always posting in there. It's just the best way. It's just a great hangout. It's one of the only reasons I go on Facebook these days. Maybe the only reason, besides posting baby spam for a <laughs> Nicholas family. So, yeah, it's the, the four-figure discount Facebook group is a hell of a good time. So that's, And you can get access just for being a $1 patron. So patreon.com slash four-figure discount is the best way to support the show. Follow us on Twitter at Four Finger Pod. Follow us on Instagram at Four Finger Discount. And do not forget to check out our brand new South Park podcast, Going Down to South Park. Available now on Patreon. It's going to be available as of next week on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. So going down to South Park for all you South Park fans out there. We're going to be revisiting the show and reviewing all the episodes. But for now, Mr. Davis, any final words for our incredible listeners? Mm, baby spam. Shh.